You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little show, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Right. Before we get started, let's talk again about our little Patreon page. If you think this podcast, folks, is worth five bucks a month to you, I'd ask you to consider becoming a patron. You'll help keep the podcast going and keep it as ad-free as absolutely possible, which I've been able to do thanks to your generous support here. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Island and sign up. Patrons get an exclusive uh, live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island right there on the Patreon page. And uh, again, that's so much fun. So come and join us. Go to patreon.com slash Island to sign up and support the podcast. Remember, it's only five bucks a month. You can cancel anytime. And also, if you prefer not to do the uh, monthly thing, I get that. You can make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username Dave McBride Music at Dave McBride Music. I'm a musician by trade. That's my virtual tip jar there. So that's kind of how I do that. And I want to thank Aaron for joining our Patreon page this week. Thank you so much for your generosity and for being part of the Diggin' Oak Island family. All right. It's time to start today's podcast off with uh, you, the listeners, emails and messages from you guys. Let's start off today with our friend Steve, who writes, quote, Today I was suddenly reminded of Blankenship's ice holes and wonder how close they are to the, quote, well where the water doesn't freeze. Steve, that's a great question. Probably not the only one asking that question today. What I would tell you is it's close, but maybe not as close as you would like, right, or that you would think. The holes were found off the swamp, really, in what I've heard referred to as the South Shore Cove. If you ever look at the uh, at a map of Oak Island and where the swamp is, it kind of sits up at the head of this cove-shaped area. Um, The western shore of that cove is Lot 32, so the closest to Lot 26 or the well is Lot 32. So there's a good five full lots between that and Lot 26. I mean, from From Lot 26, I don't think you would even be able to see the ice holes over the land because I think there's land in between between them and the well. Um, I hope that answers your question. Now, on a semi-related note, you can certainly extrapolate here that there's more uh, water sources that don't freeze on Oak Island than maybe we like to talk about, right? The cool thing about the ice holes is that they formed while Dan Blankenship was pumping in a 10X. He was doing like some pump tests and things like that. The theory being that these ice holes were evidence that the booby trap flooding system originated somewhere other than Smith's Cove and maybe all the way out there. Of course, the problem with that is there are other explanations for this as well. But that's a conversation for another day. Thanks as always, Steve. It's always great to have your support for sure. All right, let's go to Nancy, who writes, Hi, Dave. Thanks for bringing up the question of where else the gold and silver readings could be coming from. Been wondering about that forever. And maybe I missed it, but I wonder if the well is fresh water now. I suppose it wouldn't tell us anything because of sea level change. 
Plus, I think your criticism of the producers and Clotworthy is well-deserved. You don't do it in a mean way. Anyone who is offended by it that isn't living an examined life, can't you just see Clotworthy at home with his wife and kids saying, could it be as a joke? Yeah, I do see that, actually. I've had some health issues last few months, uh, and listening usually more than one time is a real picker-upper. So thank you. Keep on keeping on, Nancy. Nancy, thank you so much. That means everything to me, just those kind words. Let me just say this. Because this is something that often gets a little lost, too, right? My criticism is not of Robert Clotworthy. He's just reading a script, and this is a job I've done in my years, right? He isn't writing it. These are not his words he's saying and not what we're criticizing, right? We're criticizing what is actually being said, not who's saying it. It's the words of the writers, uh, and that is for whom my criticism truly lies, Um I'd imagine Mr. Clotworthy knows things like the island was inhabited before 1795 or the correct definition of the word ancient. You know what I'm saying, but that's not his job. So when you hear me criticize the narration, I'm almost always getting on the writer's case and not the narrators. Uh, And yes, we are all way overdue for a conversation with an expert on sea levels throughout the last eight or nine centuries as that information would help a lot when it comes to examining these different um, features and theories. But unfortunately, uh, the result of such information probably would not help them in their treasure narrative. And therefore, I think it is never, and I mean never, going to be discussed on the television show. The guys must have this stuff, though. They must know this. I'm sure Marty and Craig know this for sure. With all the scientists and academics there on the island, they must have had this conversation many times. Anyway, thank you so much, Nancy. It's great to hear from you. All right, let's go now to a question from Roland who asks, Hi, Dave. I've come across two versions of the southeast corner of the swamp. Some show it is in lot 14. Others show it in lot 15. Which is it? Thanks, Roland. Uh, Roland, I'm fairly certain the swamp extends uh, at its southern end into lot 15. That's always been my take on this. That's always been what I thought it was. Um, so I would say that that's, you know, look at a, at modern maps and that seems to be where it is. I hope that answers your question for you. Uh, let's go now to an email from Mike who writes, Hi, Dave. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I just discovered this discovered it this season and I think it enhances my enjoyment of the show. I do not perceive you as negative towards the show. You may talk about some things negatively, but I think you do it correctly uh, through a critical lens. Also, you are never mean with any of your criticisms. You're always fair. And what both of these guys, Mike and uh, who was who was doing it before? Oh, it might have been Nancy, right? Sorry, Nancy, you're not a guy. Uh, <laughs> what both of these folks are talking about is um, an email I got last week that was uh, kind of up on uh, criticizing me for being too hard on the show and not being fair, I guess. Uh, something along those lines. You can go back and listen to that email that uh, it's at the start of the last podcast. Anyway, Mike continues, you hit the nail on the head with the whole water testing and parts per billion. Why can't they explain how it works and what it means? They'll explain the Knights Templar at least three times per episode, and they have never talked about how the testing works. It's really mind boggling. Also, it's weird how it started a few seasons ago. It was just one week it stated that I could test for silver, but not for gold. And a few weeks later, they're all like, wait, you can test for gold now. And everyone was cool. That's great. So in short, the whole water testing and the way it's been handled just leaves me with more questions. I believe Dr. Spooner and the others about the water testing. And uh, I believe Dr. Spooner and the others about the water testing and results because they are smarter than me. I just want to know more about the science. 
Give me a crackpot session. I agree. The water testing does make me think there is a chance something is underground and it is exciting because I'm a skeptic, which is probably why they don't tell us. They just want us to keep guessing and keep watching. Thanks for the podcast and keep up the good work, Mike. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, I've never been one to get on the show about dragging things out for ratings purposes. I mean, there's a huge contingent on social media who believe strongly that the team actually cracked this mystery, so to speak, years ago and are hiding it all from us just to keep the show going. I don't believe that. I think taking it to that extreme is silly, uh, and uh, they kind of convince themselves of evidence that seems flimsy at best. Uh, but you're right to wonder if they aren't telling us because, quote, they just want to keep us guessing and keep watching. That's a fair criticism in my mind. Uh, and again, probably more criticism of the editing and the production than it is about the cast, right? Meaning I'm sure Dr. Spooner and Emma Culligan and anybody else who's come on over the years, Matt Lukeman and all these other doctors, Aaron Taylor, have explained these challenges to these guys, you know, and have explained all the possibilities and all the natural possibilities. But those things get edited out. It may not be fair to us, but you can understand why they do it. And a long time ago, I sort of came to peace with that, right? I just think that's that's the way it is. <laughs> uh, there's no more that really can be said about that. Anyway, with all that in mind, here is a great email from Bobby who writes, Dave, Dr. Michael and Dr. Spooner determined from their water sample testing that the metals were not geological. The key data that determined their decision was that six to eight unique metals are located within a 20 by 20 foot area at a depth of 80 to 120 feet. Your comment that it is impossible for the garden shaft to be the original money pit shaft is probably correct, but during Rick's descent into the shaft, he mistakenly referenced the depositors twice as being the original engineers that built the pit. I still feel that the group have seen the finished results of the muon scan and they know exactly where to dig and offer long-awaited solutions to the incredible. I believe anything is still possible on Oak Island, uh, still possible in the Oak Island story. Bobby, thank you so much. I absolutely love your enthusiasm here. And listen, I agree. And I think a lot of us agree. I mean, I, that's why we're all in on this, right? That's why we're here. Um, and listen, if Oak Island has taught us anything, it is to be patient, right? And sometimes that's hard, even for me. I mean, unfortunately, I don't share your enthusiasm about the Mulan results. I'll put it that way. I think the best we can hope for here uh, with that is a bunch of targets similar to the same kind of targets and things we found in the seismic testing and the GPR results that have been done over the years. But, you know, and then we're just going to test those targets and it's going to lead to more questions. I mean, that's what that's what this is all about. Yeah. Eventually, I think that, um, you know, the technology will crack this in one way or another, either find what's there or find what was there or find what actually happened. I just don't know that we're going to get that anytime soon because, remember, here's the thing. The money pit collapsed, right? If there was underground a perfectly dug out hole, something that looked squared off and looked man-made and maybe was even reinforced with wood or that kind of stuff, or there was a treasure chest there, those kind of things, those things have been long destroyed by the collapse of the money pit by the flooding, by the constant drilling and all these things that have been done down there. My guess is these Muon results will come um, with produce some possible voids. They'll possibly look at a tunnel or two and they won't determine whether or not it's natural or unnatural because it's impossible to say at this point. 
And I think they know that much already, right? I think they understand this is what's going to happen with these Muon results. But again, I can only guess. All we got to do here is keep watching and hope for the best. And I think that I've, I've, I've said this a few times, um, that the Muon results are going to be the end of this season, which carries us on into next season. Now, that might sound cynical to some of you, and people will take that cynically. I don't. I think that's... Um, you know, that they've got these results. They don't have the budget or the time to dig on them this year. So they're going to put those results to the end and then they're going to do the digging next year. I just think that's that's how this has to work. Again, it's Oak Island. It's been 230 something years. You have to have patience. So let's keep watching and hope for the best. Great stuff, Bobby. Keep those emails coming. And if you have any emails or any questions, concerns you'd like to have discussed here on a future podcast, just drop me a line. Island at gmail.com. All right. I know I say this a lot, but this is going to be a short podcast. Um, only because I really don't think there was a whole lot that went on here in this pod in this episode this week. Um, it just well, we'll get into it. We've got basically two or three places to go to, but only one that really dominated the show. So let's start off with lot 26, where we see Peter Romke. He is this forestry technician that came in last week to do um, the dating of the tree coming out of the rock wall over on lot 26 by the well. Now, uh, he comes to the interpretive center and he tells everybody that the tree is 240 years old. Now, that's a lot, but do your math, folks. Uh, Despite what they're trying to leave us here, I personally think that this dating is very disappointing um, because that dates the tree to 1783. Now, for those of you who don't have all this information in your head like I do, which I'm not proud of, Samuel Ball moved to Oak Island and settled on Oak Island and began farming in 1787. That is awful close to 1783. And he could have built that rock wall when this tree was not a very big tree. And the tree just grew through it and around it. Uh, so basically what it's telling me is that this sort of you know, the good, the, the possibility is this is Samuel Ball's rock wall that was put there when he decided this is where he was going to farm and he wanted to put up a wall for farming purposes and for property marking and that kind of stuff. So I think what this does for me, I'm not sure if you guys all feel the same, but for now, this date kind of makes me put an X through this. I don't think this has anything to do with treasure deposits. I don't think this has anything to do with anything more than Samuel Ball came here wanted to mark his property, wanted to keep his cows from roaming off or whatever he might have had, and this is how he did it. With this rock wall, he built it too close to a small tree that was there. The tree grew very large and now looks like it grew out from it. That seems like a really plausible way to do it. Now, later on, Laird and Miriam Emerald and Alex Lagina are excavating the wall. They started this project last week, this excavation of the wall, and they find a little bit of charcoal in there. So I think this charcoal, what that means is the charcoal had to be there before the wall. It means that there must have been something burned there and then the wall built on top of it. So folks, keep in mind, the charcoal isn't going to tell you when the wall was built. It's going to tell you a date that that predates the wall. So if it's 
charcoal from the 1680s. That just means it was there for a hundred and whatever, 20, hundred years until Samuel Ball came along and built this wall on top of this piece of charcoal that he probably never saw. So it's important to keep this kind of stuff in mind. Uh, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, but that's kind of where we are. That's all it is with lot 26. The other thing I want to talk about quickly here before we take a short break is the money pit, uh, basically the garden shaft. The garden shaft is reconstructed down to a fee, uh, 60 feet, which I thought was what they said last week. So I'm a little confused by that. There's a lot more to go. We don't see any more of this probing project, even though they continue to go down. Uh, Marty is there, though, to tell these Dumas guys, these guys that are doing the reconstruction of this um, shaft, to keep taking samples of the original wood they find as they go down. So they're reinforcing and replacing the old wood with this new shaft, but the old wood is still there, and they're able to test it. Um, and Marty says something here that I think is really cool. He starts talking about the testing that they've done and all the different, um, you know, gold readings and that kind of stuff. And he actually says, I don't know what to make of it. And he's 100% correct. Correct. I don't know what to make of it either. Um, I'm not sure what this all means. And just because there's wood in the uh, gold in the wood here, are we trying to say that this was the original money pit? It can't be folks. It's not the original money pit. This wall, these walls, this wood was not built by, quote unquote, the depositors. This is a searcher shaft. We know this because the money pit, as I mentioned before, was destroyed. So uh, it's all very strange. Uh, and I, But I like the idea of what they're doing in following this stuff because as they follow the gold and the results, they can basically kind of pinpoint where they are. Uh, anyway, later on in the show, the wood samples that they take here show Emma, um, Emma Culligan does her thing. And again, there's gold and she points out that the gold counts actually get higher and higher as they go deeper and deeper. And then, um, Craig says this cool quote, he says, we'll start comparing it to the wells we drilled to see the entire money pit area, um, you know, and how it relates to the gold values is basically what he's saying. So hopefully what we're going to see now is them go back to these old areas, these old drills, these old pieces of wood that they've been finding in core drilling for ages, right? For almost the length of this whole show and then test those. And then that'll give them an idea, a more accurate idea of where this gold might be found and in what levels. I think we have to start wondering about it being natural, Right, because of the nature of it, it just uh, it starts something that's starting to um, to pop up in my head that maybe that maybe this is really more a gold in the water, which is as we all know, pan for gold. That's where you find gold in the water. Anyway, let's take a short break. We'll come back and wrap things up here uh, over at the swamp. A return to the swamp. All right, so let's head to the swamp. I'm really working just off notes because I was so upset with myself for not getting the podcast out last week in time that I want to get it out this week in as good time as I can. All right, so it's kind of the swamp, but I think that's the best way to say it. Tom Nolan, the son of Fred Nolan, who owned much of the swamp for many years and did a lot of searching through there, comes to the war room to talk about the work that his dad did in the swamp. And he says that his father was working on a book that was unpublished and has a lot of information in there. And one of the things he wants to look at is an old well that uh, Fred Nolan found over by the swamp. 
Um, and inside the well was a lot of broken pottery. They were really kind of um, amazed by it. So amazed, though, that they filled it all back in and obviously never kept the pottery. So I got a lot of questions about this. But again, I think this is editing that we're dealing with here. I think he probably explained this stuff, but this is editing. He seems very enthusiastic about doing it, about going back to his dad's work. He also talks about something that his dad called the quadrilateral. Hard to understand this one uh, without seeing it, but it was like a boulder field that they found. Um, It was like 10 feet deep and about anywhere between 20 and 30 feet wide. It was this big pile of boulders that nobody really knows what it was all about. So anyway, later on the show, they decide to go after this well, right, and not this quadrilateral. So Billy Gerhardt brings this big digger over to the northern tip of the swamp, and we see Alex Lagina there and Rick Lagina and Gary Drayton, and they're there to uh, detect this. Gary's there to detect through the spoils, and the other guys are looking. Gary finds an old spike, finds a cool old hook. Um, They don't find a well, uh, not right away. So what they do is they decide to bring... Tom back to help them. Now, Tom then comes and they continue their digging and they find these steel casings that I guess Fred had left there to remark to mark this. And Ginger on the podcast said something really cool. Ginger said, uh, where is it here, Ginger? How did Gary miss those steel casings? I thought they checked the whole island except for the lot they just bought. Uh, that's a really good question. I'm not sure that they did. I'm not sure that they did check Nolan's properties. It's a good question. I didn't see a lot of those little orange flags around there. Um, but how did he miss it anyway if he's metal detecting around there? Who knows? Who knows, right? So anyway, they find the steel casings. They know what they're on to. And uh, eventually they find what they're looking for. They find what looks like a well. And in there, Gary finds a small piece of pottery. Not a lot of discussion about how old the pottery is or anything like that. Um, Just like there wasn't a whole lot of discussion about the spike or the hook, but we're going to get to that in just a second. Uh, And then, and it's actually pretty cool, Uh, but they find the well Uh, later during the dig. uh, Gary finds an old piece of iron that looks to be the business end of an old pick, right? An old pickaxe. It's hard to really tell. Not really much made out of that. But anyway, what they do is they decide to bring in something called a hydrovac. I'm always learning something new about these things, right? A hydrovac is this crazy industrial vacuum thing that's going to suck up all of what's in this well and basically dry it out so they can get a better look at it. Because as they're digging down, it's filling up with water. So they do that. And while they're doing that, they take this hook. Gary and uh, Gary's hook up to see Carmen leg because Carmen looks at all this kind of stuff, right? He says it's from an old block and tackle and he says it was used for something heavier than a bucket and it is from the late 1600s. Really fascinating stuff. You know, it's cool that it's there. I'm not sure what it means. Um, It doesn't, you know, the idea of meaning that it must be there to lower treasure down into this well This is where I come to my serious question about all of this and what I don't really understand. So the hydraulic vac, the hydrovac does its thing and Rick and Tom and Marty are there and they're looking down at the well and Rick thinks that it looks just like the well found over on lot 26. And as fascinating as that may be, and it is fascinating, 
The question I have is what does this have to do with treasure? Folks, am I unaware of people building freshwater wells as places to hide valuables? Am I unaware of some great trend or some idea that this is something something the Templars would do or a military would do to build a well and put their treasure down in it? I know Rick is saying more than we're seeing here, but I just don't under I don't just don't get the connection. I, I don't get what he's saying when he's talking about depositing things. You're not depositing things with a well. You're taking water out. You're using water. And the fact that it's also the same as the other place, the other well in lot 26, doesn't make it more unusual to me. It just leads me to believe that whoever did this built two of them for whatever reason. I don't get, I'm not, and I mean this genuinely, guys. I'm not trying to tell you that I disbelieve what Rick is saying, that I think he's lying or anything like that. No, I just don't understand the connection. I'm not getting the connection. My email is digginokylan at gmail.com. If somebody out there gets the connection, please let me know what, you're, what, what, what this is because I just don't understand how this has anything to do with a treasure at all. You know, Eric on the Patreon wrote, <laughs> and he's being a little snarky. He wrote, hey, Tom, we're running out of stuff to fill out the show. Got any places your dad checked off the list that we can dig up? It does kind of feel a little bit like that. I mean, what is it going to tell us? You know, I just don't get it. Um, it just, I, mean, I know I'm repeating myself too much, but I just don't understand what we're doing here. Again, Eric makes a great point. He writes, is the excavation of the well an attempt to show local governance that they are more interested in? Uh, they're interested in more than just treasure. In my opinion, uh, it seems a stretch to make them to make them part of the original deposit works. Their age suggests something else to me. That's exactly right. I mean, I, that's where I am too, and I and I don't know what to say about it. Anyway, they decide what they want to do is dig deeper, and so in order to do that, they're going to need permits. And so the show ends with them deciding they're going to get those permits and try to excavate, or at least this part of it ends. With uh, we're going to excavate more and see what this might be. I would not be surprised if we don't see a lot more of this, but you never know. Told you it was going to be a short episode. That's going to do it for this episode of the Diggin' Oak Island podcast. Don't forget, if you love this show, become a patron. Uh, if you think it's worth five bucks a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. If you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. Also, if you would like to help out the podcast in another way, then you could do so by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. A big thanks to everyone who's done that. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Island. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so at at gmail.com. Just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, I may just answer it here on the podcast. So if you don't want your message read aloud for everybody to hear, please make a note of that. So folks, as Dave Blankenship would say, it is crown time. Until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.